Our Father in heaven, Lord, we're so grateful because you love each one of us with an everlasting love. And we're thankful, Father, that you sent your only Son to redeem us. And Lord, our only hope is in him, and we're just wanting to have him fill our hearts today. So please bless us with the Spirit according to the sacrifice that Jesus made for each one of us so that we might be fitted to meet you face to face soon. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This seminar is Revival Plan, The Elijah Solution. And this is day two. The reason why we need revival is simply to become like our Savior Jesus. Jesus came to save us from our sins. He was born down so that we could be reborn up. In John 1, verse 12, it says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power or authority to become the sons, and we can add in daughters, of God, which were born not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, nor of blood, but of God. And then the next verse, in verse 14, says the amazing truth that the Word was made flesh. So, verse 13 says that we're not born again of blood, or of the will of man, but of God. We're, we're born of God, having the uh, partaking of the divine nature. And yet, we see the amazing trade-off in verse 14, the Word was made flesh. So He was born down, amen, so that we could be born up. And so God always wants to bring us to become more like Him. And that's the purpose of revival. Revival is to become more like Jesus. And look at the work of Jesus in Luke 4. Luke 3, he's baptized, right? He goes to the River Jordan. In Luke 4, he declares that he is now the anointed one. And he stands in Nazareth and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Spirit came upon him at the River Jordan in a very special way for ministry. Amen? Because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The good news to the poor of the kingdom. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. This was the work of Christ. And this is why God is asking us to receive His Holy Spirit in the, in the last days, especially because we have a very special work of healing, of teaching, and of preaching to accomplish across this globe. And we cannot do it without the Holy Spirit. And so, He promised us, you will receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and then you will be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And so, He wants to make us like Him. He wants to give us the joy of service. And there are so many people on earth right now that are waiting for the gospel message and we're not going anywhere until this work is done. And so we need to be revived, to be like Jesus, to be like the early church. The experience of the early apostles can be ours. We must have the holy unction from God. Tactics, psychology, money, influence, none of these things are primarily going to finish God's work. Now, are we going to have better tactics? Are we going to have better recruitment strategies? Are we going to have more offerings come in when we have the Holy Spirit with us? Absolutely. And we're going to have these necessary components, but the most necessary is we need the unction of the Holy Spirit. If we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then all these things will be added to us. 
primary of importance is we need a revival of primitive godliness among us. We have to have the baptism of the Spirit, for this is the only efficient agent in the promulgation of sacred truth. It is the Spirit of God that quickens the lifeless faculties of the soul to appreciate heavenly things and attracts the affections toward God and the truth. We talked about yesterday some serious things at the close. We talked about genetic engineering. We talked about the disasters that are happening, multiplying in the world, and how these signs of the times point us to the very distinct and inescapable fact that Jesus is coming soon. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Now, the bad news of this equation is that in the days of Noah, they were strong. They had long lives. They had the ability of having Enoch with them and having Methuselah and Adam with them for a, almost a thousand years. And so they had the cumulative knowledge of the patriarchs, the sons of God as they were called, differing from the sons of men who married and, uh, and uh, uh, married others who were not of the line of Seth. They were married those who were of the, the line of Cain and the daughters of men that were not of the divine nature. And so they had these advantages, and yet at the end of time, not only will we have the iniquities of the days of Noah, but we will be weakened and enfeebled with 6,000 years of sin. The good news is that where sin abounds, grace does more abound. And so God delights in taking and restoring things, <clears throat> that otherwise look to be hopeless. And he is going to do his most marvelous work with those who are humble at the end of time, although they may come at the end of 6,000 years of sin and feebleness, that he is going to work his mightiest works among us now. Isn't that good news? Amen. So we're seeking this revival that is promised to us. We're told that there will be troubles in the end of time in the remnant church, signified by an iceberg, for example, in this uh, vision that was given through the spirit of prophecy <clears throat> towering high above the ship was a gigantic iceberg. An authoritative voice cried out, meet it. There was not a moment's hesitation. It was a time for instant action. Now we know that the prophecy is that Elijah will come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, which means that there is a need for Elijah, which means that the, the environment of the world and the church of God's people will be similar to that in the days of not only Lot and Noah, but of Elijah. And so there's a reason why Elijah is sent. And so the vision goes on to say that the engineer put on full steam. The man at the wheel steered the ship straight into the iceberg. And what does the iceberg represent? We're told in the next paragraphs that it represents the errors that are coming in among God's people. We know that we are wretched and we are miserable. We are poor and blind and naked. And we do not even know our true condition. No word of commendation is spoken to the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. There is no room for self-aggrandizement. We need revival, friends. And we need it now because we see the signs of the times multiplying in the world and in the church. And she says in this, <coughs> excuse me, in the, the succeeding paragraphs, she says, I knew my, my duty as soon as I heard those words, meet it. She said, I, my duty was clear. I picked up my pen and I began to write the messages which God had given me to correct the errors which were coming in among us. 
And that's why, number one, prophets or messengers of the Lord, people that have prophetic messages, they are so important to God's church because they correct errors that come in among us. And that's why we treasure the testimonies as we talked about yesterday. Number two, that is why they are so ill-treated and they're so ill-esteemed and unappreciated is because we don't naturally like to be told that we need to correct. But God chastens those that He loves. Amen? Them that I love, I rebuke and I chasten, He tells the church of the Laodiceans. And so we're, we're seeing uh, in the church the need for the straight testimony as well, the spirit of prophecy. The good news is that in this climate of apostasy in the world and in the church as well, as we see here, the omega of apostasy, question, uh, BO256, it's uh, just a numbering system. It's special testimonies, essentially. So that's just a numbering system. Apostasy, and we can talk more about this later, but apostasy literally means falling away from the truth. So anything that's not founded upon the Bible and confirmed by the Spirit of God is apostasy. In this climate of apostasy, of the days of Noah in the world and also the days of Elijah in the church of God's people, we're told that God is going to do an amazing work. The earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please go to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18. We need to be positive in the midst of any trouble or apostasy. We have no need to become discouraged. Elijah made that mistake, amen? And we can learn from that today. In Revelation chapter 18, it says, John says, After these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. He needs great power because the earth is dark. Isaiah 60 verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for thy light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. And the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And so we need great power at the end of time. Amen? And we're seeking that. The earth was lightened with his glory. What is the glory of God? The glory of God is his character. His character of love, of mercy, of forgiveness, his gentleness and patience, but also his hatred of sin and his desire for us to be made in his image, to be remade, to be recreated. And so his character is talked about in Exodus chapter 34 to Moses. He said, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Truth is important as well as mercy. Amen? Amen. The two must kiss each other in that divine blend of mercy and justice. And then it says, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But then that will in no wise, what? Clear the guilty. Because God does have a law and that law must be obeyed through the righteousness of Jesus and through his mercy and his forgiveness. And he can give us new hearts. And so the earth is going to be lightened with the glory of God. The enemy of souls desires to hinder this work. And before the time for such a movement shall come, he will endeavor to prevent it by introducing a counterfeit. Not long ago, this man, a bishop in the Anglican church, stood before an assembly of Pentecostal ministers, and 
he told them, it was broadcast widely throughout the world, and he told them, I come to you in the spirit of Elijah. And then he said, he said, how many of you are born again? He said, you are all Catholic. Because Catholic simply means, and he went on with a big story. And he tried to quote from Malachi chapter 4, which says that he will turn the hearts of the children to the fathers, referring to the Catholic fathers. That, my friends, is a counterfeit. We know that because in John chapter 8, Jesus talked to the unbelieving Jews who claimed to be children, who claimed to have the, the uh, heritage behind them, the, uh, the direct link, the apostolic, so to speak, succession, all the way back to Abraham. And they said, we're children of Abraham. He said, if you were children of Abraham, you wouldn't seek to kill me. You are of your father, the devil, because you're liar. You're, 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 li- you're, you're lying. And he was a liar. And, uh, well, it, the, the text is in John 8, 44, and the, uh, the name is, uh, you can look it up, a bishop of the Anglican church, Tony Palmer. Uh, so he said this, and, and look, with all due respect, truth is truth, and the Bible is the Bible. So he said this, now, soon after, we received news that he had gotten into a terrible accident, and we're, we're sorry that anybody's life is extinguished. But then, not very long after, I was amazed to hear the same Elijah message that was no Elijah message. In another minister's meeting in the capital of evangelicalism, which is Dallas. And so Dallas, you know, there's an old joke that says that when they used payphones, it would cost so-and-so or such-and-such amount to, to, to reach God. Uh, in other parts of the country, large rates. And then in Dallas, it only costs a quarter because it's a local call. And so Dallas, Dallas, you know, the, uh, lots of things happen in Dallas. There's Fort Worth and the Pentecostal uh, movement there, just next door, etc. And so I was at this meeting in Dallas. I'm sorry, I missed it. Yeah, different things have happened there. So um, I was amazed to hear this so-called Elijah movement. We're told that just before the true Elijah movement... Before the great revival, there will be a what? Counterfeit in order to prevent it. So we saw that here, and then we, I also was amazed that the message was preached just before the election in 2016, in September, and there was a meeting called The Gathering in Dallas, Texas, a meeting of many different uh churches, their ministers, first of all, in the morning, and since I'm a minister, I, I went uh, because I also hope to let my light shine. Amen. And so I went, and in the evening there was other people, uh, not just ministers. And so the, the last message, the last message, and, and you know the message that everyone leaves on is a very important message. That's the keynote message. And so At this message, all of the evangelical leaders came and stood behind this very 
charismatic individual who looked like a youth pastor. He was wearing jeans, he was wearing tennis shoes, a cardigan, and an open shirt. And he preached with the same spirit, as far as I could discern, as the previous person that I discussed. And he preached on the topic of Elijah. Now, this was just before the election, friends. And we know who the two candidates for the election was. And we know that this took place in the Bible Belt. And his message was, Jezebel is not going to win. Okay? This was a political rally. Make no mistake. If you look at the promo video for the gathering, the solemn assembly, so to speak, even though they had a drum cage in there that shook the whole place, then you would have seen flags waving and triumphant music and political overtones and mentions of it. And it was definitely politically uh, centered. And he said, Jezebel is not going to win. And he preached with power. It was convincing. Unless you knew the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. Because religion is never popular. That is true. And, I'm sorry, friends, but Americans are no different than any other nation on earth. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, it doesn't say if my Americans. It says if my people. And so every nation on this planet needs to have within it a powerful, true Christian church. But it is wrong to think that somehow America is the new Israel. It's not. There is no distinction, Galatians 3.28, between Jew or Greek. It is all an even playing field. And so I was listening to this and weighing it out with Scripture and the national overtones that were coming through. Look, I'm happy to be an American, friends. My family escaped from communist Romania and came here, and I'm delighted to have the freedom of religion here. But let me remind you that the small country of South Korea at one time sent out almost more missionaries than the United States did. And so uh, America is not the new Israel. And this, uh, this message was preached with power that Christianity is going to make a comeback in America. Jezebel is not going to win. And I'm thinking, okay, I wonder who Jezebel is. (laughs) I came back and I talked to my prayer group. I said, look, I don't care how this guy was dressed. This guy had power. And he was speaking something that I believe will come true, not in the way that he believes, but that there is a great revival coming. That there is an awakening coming. And there will be a religious interest... Friends, atheism is not going to be the enemy of the church in the end of time. It does not say that in the Bible. What is going to be the enemy is apostate Christianity that have gone away from the Scriptures. A few months later at the inauguration, and the one that they didn't think was going to win did not win, I was amazed. Look at this man's face closely. After the second prayer, after the first prayer for the inauguration, which was the most powerful Roman Catholic individual that we know about in the United States, the Archbishop of New York, 
was the same preacher that said that Jezebel was not going to win. Friends, we are on the verge of fulfilled prophecy. We are going to see great events, and this is the key. We need to find the truth because the false is going to be overwhelmingly convincing. No, no, what I said was after the first prayer for the inauguration, which the man standing behind the one that you see here was the most, is the most, most powerful uh, that we know about in the United States, the Archbishop of New York. He gave the first prayer for the inauguration. The second person to give a prayer was the man that preached Jezebel is not going to win that you see on the screen. And he said there is coming a great revival in the United States. Friends, this is the time for the true Elijah message. I don't know if you know this uh, story right here, but before President Trump was elected, and by the way, I think we should respect every single president. I think that we should pray for our president. And I, I don't think that we should slander our presidents. In, even if it was whoever, you know, if, if uh, you know, the other candidate had won, or I treat them all the same. President Obama deserved respect. President Trump deserves respect. However, we need to be very careful about anointing people that God has not necessarily anointed to do a work that we imagine that He has given. And so, again, the Bible says, if my people humble themselves, not necessarily if my Americans... And I know this is a shock to some people, but it, it, there is a world outside of America. And there are people that are full of the Spirit outside of America. And so uh, this um, man had uh, visions uh, purportedly before the election claiming that Trump was going to win. And he, uh, he shared these with his physician who was the physician of all the, the most... Uh, respected evangelical leaders in the United States. So his physician was the physician that took care of the most influential evangelical preachers in the United States. This physician shared it with his wife. And his wife organized a massive prayer movement. And in case you don't know, the evangelical base is what put our president currently into position. The United States Embassy, when it was dedicated, was a religious ceremony. One of the most popular preachers gave the inauguration prayer. It was very, very religious. And we're going to see, I believe, many events happening to draw our minds from the heavenly sanctuary to the earthly place of Jerusalem that Jesus left and said, your house is left to you desolate. The good news, the good news, we always want to be positive, amen? is that before the final visitation of God's judgments upon the earth, there will be among the people of the Lord such a revival of primitive, meaning first, meaning of highest importance and one that we had before, a primitive godliness as has not been witnessed since apostolic times. The spirit and power of God will be poured out upon his children. And it is no mystery because God is a God of order. It is no mystery how this will happen. We are told in God's word the formula for revival. Never let anyone try to tell you that you don't need to follow exactly what God says in order to get God's result. 
Now, we must follow it in faith in Christ and in self-abnegation, realizing our great need and our soul poverty, that we have nothing in ourselves to boast. And yet, it is not going to happen, the revival, unless we follow what God tells us to do. God is a God of order. His word is true. He cannot lie. When he says, if you, then this, whatever is if, will happen. And so, uh, God is a God of order, and 2 Chronicles 7.14 says it this way. Here's a mathematical expression. Do we have a mathematician here? Okay, amen, from Elder Steele. We have a mathematician, I'm sure there's others. If, then, is a mathematical expression. If, my people, which are called by my name, shall one humble themselves. We need humility in the end of time. We need to realize our soul poverty, that we are wretched, we're miserable, we're poor, we're blind, we're naked. We have the ability to contact anybody on this globe within a second or two using technology, and we still haven't finished the gospel work. They used to have to travel across the sea on ships with sails, and they reached the then known world in a short amount of time. Hello, friends. We need revival. We need to humble ourselves. We need to say, stand in the way. Okay, we're going to stop. And we're going to say, okay, the population is increasing. And we are not. We have got to find a different way. What is that way? It's time to turn to God and humble ourselves and say, what is the straight testimony to us? What should we do? How should we want to run our church? That's why the testimonies for the church will be a part of this lecture. We should humble ourselves. We should pray. We should seek His face. But notice this, this is the part, you know, if you're doing a chemical experiment in a laboratory and, and, and you try to leave out oxygen when you're trying to make a water molecule, you're never going to make water. It's just not happening. You need to have all of the reactants if you want the reaction. And so this part right here has been missing. Most people have read the Conflict of the Ages series, which is theology. Primarily, there's application in there, but it's theology. But how few have read the testimonies for the church? We do not want to read those books because they are specific. Because they talk about me. Because it is clearly calling for reformation. And we don't want it. And so this part, turn from their wicked ways, was all a part of Elijah's ministry. Then it says, will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. We need all of the reactants in order to have the reaction. So the revival formula, revival formula, you need Elijah. And yesterday we talked about, and we'll come back to this slide later, we talked about how Elijah the prophet would be sent And that Jesus said that John the Baptist, if you will receive it, was Elijah. And that he was more than a prophet. And that he was the messenger of the Lord. Also, John chapter 1 verse 7 says, John the Baptist was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. Does that sound familiar? God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. Now, the light that reflects from the moon is in verity the light of the sun. It's just that the moon is not intrinsically the sun. 
The moon does not intrinsically have that light within it, and yet the light itself is the same light of the sun. It's just reflected. And so the lesser light to rule the night, wherever you see the moon, you know the sun is somewhere. It shall be established forever as the moon, the Bible says in Psalms 89, as a faithful witness in heaven. It witnesses to the sun. And so John was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light, just like the moon, which is the lesser light. John was the lesser light pointing to the greater light. Do you follow? He was more than a prophet and the messenger of the Lord. Does that all sound familiar? Revelation 12, 17 says, The dragon was wroth with the woman, very angry. Now, whatever makes the devil angry is what I want to do. Not because I necessarily want trials and tribulation, not because I like persecution, but I know I'm getting close to doing something good if he's getting angry. Frederick Douglass, when he was a little boy, his master's wife was unaccustomed to the sinful luxury of owning other human beings and was teaching him how to read one day when his master came into the room and put a stop to that and said, you will not ever teach any of these people how to read. Why? Because knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. And he got so mad that little Frederick, who's a sharp young lad, said, if that makes that man so angry, I'm going to do everything I can to learn how to read. It must be really important. And he started to read. Well, what makes the dragon angry? Number one, we keep the commandments of God and we have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Friends, no other power can help the remnant church get through the end of time except Jesus Christ. And we need His testimony, which is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation 1.1, as we talked about yesterday, says the revelation of John the Divine. Is that what it says in the first verse? If you got a Bible that says that, I give you permission to just cross out that title because that wasn't in the original text. The title of that book is not the revelation of St. John the Divine. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what the first verse says. Amen? Don't let anyone go from here saying that I said cross out words from the Bible. I said the title, which is not in the Bible. Okay, so Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, his son, Jesus Christ, to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John. Notice the next verse, verse four, who bear record of the word of God and of the what? Testimony of what? Of who? Jesus Christ, of the testimony of Jesus Christ. John bare record of the testimony. Who appeared to John on the island of Patmos? Jesus Christ appeared to him. And then Jesus gives him messages. He says, write unto the seven churches, of which, and he names them off, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thy, write unto all these the messages that I give you. And at the end of each message, Jesus, Jesus says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Because the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. Are you following? John 16, 13, and 14 further elucidates this. It teaches us that, that the spirit of truth will come and he will not speak of himself, but whatever he hears, that will he speak. So the spirit hears from Christ and shows it unto us, it says in verse 14. That's how we know that the Holy Spirit is a separate person from Jesus. We know that the Holy Spirit is a separate person from the Father because the Father gave it to Jesus who through the Spirit gave it to John. 
So at the River Jordan as well, we have the Father, this is my beloved Son, you have the Holy Spirit coming down, and then you have the Son. They are united, it's a mystery, we can't understand it, but they are definitely individual persons. And so we see here that the last day church has the testimony of Jesus Christ and it makes the dragon angry. Friends, we can trust the message of Elijah today, which is the spirit of prophecy. And in fact, it is vital if we are going to have the final revival, we need the Reformation, that missing key, that missing key from the formula of 2 Chronicles 7.14, that missing key of turning from their wicked ways, Elijah came upon Mount Carmel and he said in 2 Kings, uh, verse, uh, I think it's 1 Kings actually, 1 Kings 18, 1 Kings 18, let's go to 1 Kings 18 and we'll go to verse 21, Elijah came unto all the people and said, how long do you halt between two opinions, that's the Laodicean message, between hot and cold, you're lukewarm, if the Lord be God, follow him, if you want to be hot, or if, if hot is the right way, then be hot. But if Baal, then follow him, be cold, but choose. And the people answered him not a word. By the way, to refuse to stand on the Lord's side is apostasy. We need to say something when there's apostasy. We need to stand for the Lord. We don't stand arrogantly. We don't stand uh, with sinful tendencies by God's grace, but we want to stand in truth and simply hold on to what is truth. So it go, he goes on and he says, verse 36, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear, hear me, that this people may know that Thou art the Lord God, and that Thou hast what? Turn their heart back again. Elijah would come and turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers, back to the truth of the fathers. Notice he references the fathers in verse 36. Who are the fathers? They're not the Roman Catholic fathers. They're Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob or Israel. That's who the fathers are. In other words, turning them back to the God and the truth of the fathers. And then he says, you have turned their heart back again. Friends, the good news is that God can turn our hearts back again. If we're lukewarm, God can make us hot. Jeremiah 24, 7 says, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. If you have troubles in your life and you find yourself wavering and you see your weakness, do not despair because the God of Elijah will turn your heart back again. You just have to make sure that you stay very close to him and you keep looking at him and you keep claiming the promises and you follow him wherever he goes and he will completely turn your heart back again. Jeremiah 24, 7. And so this very important part of the formula of repentance, turning from their wicked ways. This is what God wants to do with His people in the end of time. Here is the re revival formula. Elijah, first of all, which is the spirit of prophecy. 
And I've just showed you how John the Baptist was Elijah, more than a prophet, messenger of the Lord, the lesser light pointing to the greater light. And we know that all of these refer to the spirit of prophecy which is given to our church, which makes the devil angry and makes the real Jezebel angry. Not the one that we referred to earlier that some people think is Jezebel. Okay, there's a real Jezebel. And it really makes her angry and it makes the dragon angry. This special message because it's the testimony of Jesus himself to his church. Elijah plus what? He said, gather to me all Israel. They sent representatives. Everybody should have the testimonies and everybody should read the testimonies. Let me show you this right here. First of all, some people really doubt inspiration and what God has given to us. And they quibble over technicalities and little stuff. Friends, you can trust the spirit of prophecy. It is powerful and it is true. I just uh, was amazed by this uh, right here, this quotation I've read quite a few times and I've wondered, how is that true? How is it possible? It talks about people who let other people think for them and don't use their own brains. They, they use their muscles, but not their brains. You would think that someone would be very healthy if they exercised all the time and they didn't use their brains very much. But look what, the, what it says. It says, their influence for good is small in comparison with what it might be if they would use what? Their brains as well as their muscles. This class, those that primarily do muscle work and not brain work, notice this, they fall more readily if attacked with disease. Why? Because the system, the body system, is not what? Vitalized by the electrical force of the brain to resist disease. I read this, I was like, that is very interesting. I don't know how that would be true, but I've seen so much evidence so far that the spirit of prophecy is true. It's so biblical, constantly referring back to the scriptures. Well, what do you know? In 2015, science discovered something that changed this chart. This is a chart of the lymphatic system which fights disease in the body. And the green strokes there in the picture are a representation of the lymphatic system. And the pre-2015 chart, in, the, in this pre-2015 chart, the lymphatic system stops at the base of the brain. And they discovered, in a stunning discovery that overcomes, overturns decades of textbook teaching, researchers have determined that the brain is directly connected to the immune system by vessels previously thought not to exist. They're like, how could we have missed? This is the new, this is the new chart on the right. How did they miss it? Because the lymphatic vessels surround the blood vessels. They are not separate vessels when it gets to the brain. And so you have to do a cross-section and analyze it very carefully to see another channel, the lymphatic system. And they missed it until 2015. I mean, that's a pretty significant discovery, okay, that the, that the immune system is connected to the brain, all right? So that such vessels could have escaped detection when the lymphatic system has been so thoroughly mapped, I think not. The brain, part of the central nervous system, has blood vessels, okay, they surround it. And then it says that the nervous system is essentially the body's electrical wiring, okay? The body's electrical wiring. So what do you know? The brain vitalizes the health. There is a connection there, a strong connection. And so in the 1960s, there was a program called Testimonies Countdown. 
Testimonies Countdown. Uh, sorry, Testimony Countdown. How many of you remember that? Yeah. 1960s. It was a time of political upheaval, of sexual deviancy, of immorality and racial tension. Does that sound anything like 2019? It surely does. And there was a program, this was just a flyover. It was a 10-week program, a flyover, just going over in uh, an aerial view of the testimonies volume by volume with 10 meetings at prayer meeting. Tacoma Park, 15 to 1600 Adventists were in regular attendance. There were traffic jams. Tacoma Park is the church that was the church of the General Conference at the time. Andrews University, have you ever seen 1,800 people meet in house of prayer? Keene, Texas, 800 believers every Wednesday night. Hinsdale, Illinois, my previous church, 500 to 600 meeting regularly. This is what Pastor Delafield said. He said, I think the testimony countdown can very well be a part of the great final great revival and reformation of the church. Let's take it from inspiration. Excuse me. As the end draws near and the work of giving the last warning to the world extends, it becomes more important for those to, who accept, excuse me, present truth to have a clear understanding of the nature and influence of the testimonies. Because, friends, it's the testimony of Jesus to his church, which God in his providence has linked with the work of the third angel's message from its very rise. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. In another place, if the warnings and reproofs given in the Word of God and in the testimonies of His Spirit are not plain enough, what words would be sufficiently plain to bring about a revival and a reformation? I know of no better way to present my views of general dangers and errors and the duty of all who love God and keep His commandments than by giving these testimonies. Friends, the testimonies for the church are what are going to meet the iceberg of problems in our church. They are the testimonies for the church. It means that they are on our side. It means that they will bless us and they will help us. But unfortunately, they have not been half-heated. The testimony of the true witness, which is the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus, has not been half-heated. The solemn testimony upon which the destiny, did you get that word? Destiny of our church hangs has been lightly esteemed, if not entirely, disregarded. And if that was true back in the 19th century, it is five times as true now. So we're counseled, Testimonies, Volume 4, there should be a most thoroughly organized plan, and this should be faithfully carried out. The volumes of Spirit of Prophecy, which would be the conflict series, and also what? The testimonies should be introduced into every Sabbath-keeping family, and does it say to grace their shelves in the wrappers? It says the brethren should know their value and should be urged, consider yourself urged today, to read them. They should be in the family of, library, excuse me, they should be in the library of every family and read again and again as she goes on in the sentence that said they should be worn out. They should be worn out and being read by all the neighbors as well. Okay, so, you know, I went through seminary and never read the testimonies. I went through four years of undergraduate pastoral training, never read the testimonies. Went through most of my life in educational uh, church institutions, and I had never read the testimonies. 
And when I started to read them, I was brought to my knees in humility because I didn't have any time to think about your sins, no offense. But I was thinking about my own problems and my own character and how I wanted to be more like Jesus. And it shook me. And I realized, wow, if we would only read the testimonies for the church, perhaps we would be able to solve some of the problems of the church. Someone asked me at a GYC, they said after they were on a panel discussion discussing the favorite issue, women's ordination, how much we are missing, how much we are missing, because we dwell on one, you know that's the sign of fanaticism? Taking one issue and making it the all-consuming issue? They asked me, Rich, do you think that we can actually have conversation between the two sides. We have people on this side and this side. I said, I don't think we need any more conversation about this. How about we read the testimonies and talk about what's in them? How about we look at what we're supposed to be doing and what we're not supposed to be doing and make decisions to follow God? How about we take some action on the things that we know we should do instead of continuing to speculate on what is the most important on one issue, which is non-existent in the testimonies. We're distracted, (laughs) okay? We need to go back at this time and say, okay, let's not be one idea people. Let's look at the whole picture. Let's see, what are we supposed to do? Friends, this is not my idea. I didn't send Elijah, Amen? amen? I didn't send the spirit of prophecy. I'm just noticing that no one reads the testimonies. <laughs> so I, I wanted to make it easy for myself. So I developed this plan called Revival Plan because there should be a thoroughly organized plan to bring these. And you have to have Elijah with all of Israel in the Revival Plan, in the Revival Formula. So remember, Elijah plus all of Israel, he gets to Carmel and he gives the straight testimony. You don't have to guess about what's written. You don't need to know Hebrew and Greek to read the testimonies. Okay, You've got a current translator you know, that knows English, if you don't know English, or if you're an English speaker, you've got it in your native language. Everything is easily understood. It's the straight testimony of how we should live, the prophetic message. Then after he delivers the straight testimony, then he prays for God to convict and convert the church so that they would repent and reform. He calls everybody, he points them to the straight testimony, and then he prays for conviction. He doesn't pray for rain first. They don't need rain first. Friends, if we had great abundant success in evangelism like they had at Pentecost right now, we would pervert the converts. God is not sending them to us, we're told, because we're not ready to receive them. Because we would taint them and contaminate their pure hearts. God is saving those true Christians in in the Babylonian churches. He is saving them for when his people are ready to receive them. We don't need rain now. What we need is repentance. We need reform. We need to be fathers in our homes and mothers in our homes and teachers in our schools and pastors doing what we're supposed to be doing and teaching what we're supposed to be teaching. We need reformation first. So he prays and he doesn't say, Lord God in heaven, let it be known that you can send rain and I'm sorry we were so harsh on them. (laughs) No. He says, Lord, let them know that you are God and that I've done all these things according to your word. 
fire comes down like lightning. Incidentally, if you go to Revival Plan, this was not planned. Today's my seminar where I'm discussing this issue. And the reading, coincidentally, with Revival Plan, 10 pages a day, reading through the testimonies, the picture is actually this picture. And the story is Elijah on Mount Carmel. Now, you can say that that was coincidence. I don't think so. He prays, the power of God comes down, and the people are convicted because truth always wins. It always wins. And friends, in our church, God is going to bring a revival. Not everyone will accept it. And yet, He's going to bring this revival. It will swell and cover the whole earth. And we're going to finish the job and go home. But not without the straight testimony. We need Elijah. We need the spirit of prophecy. We need the testimonies for the church. Then He says, okay, seize the false prophets. Do not let one of them escape. Now, we're not looking for a literal Elijah, so we're not looking to physically seize anyone. Amen? However, friends, if someone is teaching error and we're on a committee and we can say something, we need to say something. This is a representative democracy. We are not led by a pope or by bishops or cardinals. And it doesn't matter who is chairing the committee. Respectfully, in the name of Jesus, you need to do your job. And he called and he called them to make a reformatory action because revival could not spread without a reformation among the leadership. And so after that, after there was repentance and reformation, then he prays for rain. Then he prays for blessing. And that is coming. The promise is, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So I developed this plan, which is the testimonies for the church, reading 10 pages a day. I developed this as much for me as I did for you. Because like I said, I had not read it. And reading through 10 pages a day in 16 months, you read them. Combining it with the prayer movement that we're going to talk about tomorrow. I'm also on the General Conference Revival and Reformation Committee, and I was privileged to present these two ideas to them, which they're happy about and have... Uh, given their support for even though they're not official GC initiatives. And we're going to talk about that praying through the testimonies because we need to combine prayer with the straight testimony. And here on the website, if you sign up on revivalplan.com, and you can sign up actually uh, by going to revivalplan.com and signing up, or on the sheet in the back of the room. On, on, all right, it's getting passed around. Um, God uh, is going to bless you if you read these testimonies. And every day you have a reading posted of 10 pages with the audio. So you can listen to the audio of just those 10 pages. And then as I said, we're going to be discussing how we can pray, asking for revival and reformation through the testimonies from 625-19, which is just coming up around the corner, June 25, until June 25 2020, which is the general conference. And we're going to be praying that as God's people are called together, that we would listen to the message of the straight testimony, that we would listen to the message of the spirit of prophecy. This is not my message, friends. This is, this is God's Elijah message that he has given to us. I'll tell you, if you think it's hard to read the nine volumes of the testimonies, go ahead and try writing them. She almost died many times in her life because of labor for people that did not care to receive a message of warning 
from a messenger of the Lord. We have this treasure that has been given to us. The White Estate has faithfully preserved them. By the way, support them with your offerings if you can. <laughs> we need the Elijah message right now. And we have, to, we have to include prayer with it. We need to pray. So you can sign up for the prayer. We're going to talk more about it tomorrow. We're going to also talk about scripture memorization, how to incorporate that. Incorporate that. The straight testimony leads us to the scriptures. I've led scripture memory seminars many places over the globe, and I found that people that study the spirit of prophecy are the most successful at hiding the word of God in their minds. They're the most dedicated, and they're the most disciplined, and they love the word of God because the spirit of prophecy points us to the Bible. So I will teach you a way that you can memorize hundreds of verses this, this week. And I'm serious. You won't memorize them all this week. Settle down. But, but we are going to learn them. Okay? We're going to learn them by God's grace. But here's the point, folks. This is, this is the point of today. Revival does not happen accidentally. No one trips into the kingdom of heaven. Okay? Broad is the way and wide is the gate which leads to destruction. And many there be which go in there at. But straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads to life. Few there be that find it. It's going to take sacrifice. Friends, Elijah was called a troubler of the people, and I imagine I will have that label attached to my name after this recording. And you may at some point too. And yet, it is worth it. It is worth it. It's not about me or you. It's about God. And it's going to take a diligent effort to bring the Elijah message to God's people. And I invite you to participate the rest of this week. We're going to be talking about how to do that in your churches, how to start these prayer groups. Our goal is 1,000 prayer groups per division before the general conference, praying for revival and reformation. And we have various methods to do that. We've got materials. We're going to be praying through the testimonies. But we should have a plan, just like when we do evangelism, we don't just pray. We have to have objectives, right? You have to actually go out and do something. You can't just pray about it. Prayer is important. I'm all for prayer. But what's the plan? It's our first work. And we need to start with Elijah and all Israel. Well, why don't we uh, just bow our heads for prayer and we'll, we'll uh, close for the day. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have a plan to bring revival to your people. And Lord, forgive me, I am a faulty uh, human instrument. If there's anything I said uh, that has not properly represented your great love and your great mercy for your people, Lord, I want that amazing mix of mercy and justice, and we want that too. And so we ask, Father, that you'd please revive us, that you'd help us to be willing to, be, to accept the rebuke of your straight testimonies for ourselves. Um, and Lord, just forgive our sins. We are Laodicea, but Lord, thank you that you love us, that it's your pleasure to give us the kingdom that uh, you delight in saving and you delight in reforming and in helping. And so we ask for your help today, throughout the day. And Lord, we have an emergency in our church. Uh, we have an iceberg ahead. And we ask that uh, you would help us not to get out our little hammers and chisels and try to do that work alone, but that we would rely upon the testimonies that you've given us to correct the errors that are coming in among us. Please bless us now today in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.